social slowdown, take a social media break, set better boundaries, and market your business without sacrificing your mental health. By Meg Casebolt. Narrated by Meg Casebolt. Introduction. The idea for the social slowdown started in 2021 when I accidentally took the entire summer off posting on social media for my marketing business. Literally 100 days. Oops. If you're running an online business, social media might be a key part of your marketing strategy, so taking an extended break might feel unthinkable for you. But it's possible, I promise. This hiatus ended up having a strong impact on my mental health and my business and my lead generation and the business opportunities that I found myself with, but maybe not in the way that you might think. If your feelings about social media are complicated, you're not alone in looking for a solution to feel more balanced and less overwhelmed. Whether you want to abandon social media altogether, take a month off, or just feel in control of your time, I'm here to let you know that it's possible to have a thriving business without being totally dependent on social media. This book explores creative, sustainable ways to engage with your audience without needing to lip sync, send cold DMs, run expensive Facebook ads, or be available 24-7. After all, social media is a double-edged sword. It's a wonderful way to stay connected, but it can also feel like an addictive obligation. Social media is even more complex for business owners. You might feel like social media is working really well for your business, which is awesome, way to go, but you feel stuck in a rut of posting all the time because you don't want to anger the algorithm gods. Or you've been told the easiest way to connect with your audience is to go where they're already hanging out, but you've got to fight with algorithms to maybe be seen. Or maybe you think you have to be on social media because they, your business coach, your mastermind, the Facebook ads you're seeing, tell you that it's the best, easiest solution, but you just don't feel comfortable doing what they say are the best practices. And for your personal use, maybe you want to decompress with social media after hours to get updates on your college roommates or just check out the recent TikTok trends. But the business posts keep showing up even when you're trying to relax and not think about work for five minutes. I'm here to tell you, if this feels confusing and overwhelming, you're not alone. But first, before I start diving into those details, let's start with a little introduction. Hey, I'm Meg Casebolt. Back in 2007, I was accepted into the Peace Corps, and while I had a thyroid issue that prevented me from going, I used their Master's International program to get a Master's in Community Economic Development. I landed a job in nonprofit fundraising, which I loved for the ability to tell powerful stories for donor relations, and also to write grants focused on tracking metrics and measuring results. I loved working for nonprofits and never thought I'd leave, believing maybe I'd even run one someday. But then life happened. I got married and pregnant, looked at my limited income, and realized that it didn't make financial sense to spend half my take-home pay on daycare. Hashtag sad trombone. Burr, 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 burr. I left the nonprofit world and started a successful freelance design studio and spent the next few years immersed in the world of branding and web design. And while my clients and their audiences loved the style and design of their new websites, they weren't getting found for their amazing work. So I started exploring SEO, search engine optimization, aka setting up your marketing to get found in search engines like Google, YouTube, Pinterest, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon, because my clients had these incredible messages to spread, and I wanted to help them get discovered by new audiences. In 2020, I took a leap of faith and started Love at First Search, an SEO agency helping businesses owned by folks from marginalized communities, specifically those most impacted by patriarchy, sexism, and misogyny. 
My team and I help them show up in search results for exactly the solutions their customers are looking for precisely when they're looking for it. I want to acknowledge here that I had the privilege of having a safety net, including my husband's income and the benefits of an upper middle class upbringing. I'm a white cisgendered woman with all the privilege that comes with those identities, and I understand that privilege plays a significant role in anyone's ability to start a business, including mine. For a long time, though, I felt a disconnect between my earlier idealistic goals, change the world, empower the disadvantage, and the practical work I was doing, gain keywords, improve conversion rates. But finally, one day, it all clicked. Helping my badass women and non-binary entrepreneur clients to get seen and make money is community economic development at its core because we're helping leaders who have been marginalized to provide for themselves, their families, and their communities. SEO is our agency's vehicle for amplifying marginalized entrepreneurial voices and empowering leaders to help their families, communities, and the wider world flourish. The approach is simple. Instead of quick fix formulas that promise the world but break your heart when you realize they don't work, I believe in cultivating genuine relationships and honoring them with smart marketing strategy and strategic content that adds value. And that's exactly the approach that I'll be sharing throughout this book as an alternative to relying exclusively on social media. This book has four parts. Part one, examining your relationship with social media. The first step in solving a problem is recognizing it. So in this section, I'll walk you through all the ways that social media can be both beneficial and harmful. Part two, setting boundaries to protect yourself. Then I'll share best practices about healthy ways to build boundaries and time management skills to use social media effectively and efficiently. Bonus, these can be applied to any marketing strategy. Part three, measure your marketing effectiveness. One of the reasons we rely on social media is because it feels good. But if it's not helping you to achieve the goals you set for your business, is it still worth the dopamine rush and societal pressure? What if there were options that took less time and effort with similar results? Part four, strategic marketing alternatives to social media. Finally, I'll share 17 alternative marketing strategies to replace or reduce your dependence on social media. These can be used independently or in combination with each other to make your marketing less time and energy intensive and more sustainable. By the end of this book, you should be able to, one, recognize the benefits and dangers of using social media to market your business, two, develop strategies to mitigate the risk of being dependent exclusively on social media, three, evaluate the effectiveness of all your marketing efforts to determine where to double down and where you can ease up, and four, consider and compare alternative marketing strategies that work for your business, your brain, and your life. Okay, now back to the story. Why I took a 100-day social sabbatical. Fade-in setting, a struggling Facebook group. I started the SEO Love Facebook group in 2017. At first, it was awesome. I ran free quarterly challenges with Facebook Live video streams to teach people basic SEO principles. Members loved the free training so much that when I opened the doors to a paid program, they leapt at the opportunity to join. Okay, maybe not leapt per se, but converted at about 3 to 4%, which is pretty damn good. To keep things active and engaged between the quarterly challenges, I hired a social media manager, Sarah, to write posts and support questions from group members. It all worked until it didn't. Fast forward to 2021, the engagement in the Facebook group had been dropping, so Sarah suggested that we also post on Instagram and LinkedIn. Now I was juggling three different spaces where I had to stay active, because even with a dedicated team member, I was still the subject matter expert, so she brought me all the SEO questions for answers. 
in April 2021, we ran one of our quarterly live SEO challenges and our signups were dismal. I logged on to teach on Facebook Live and IGTV back when that was a thing and nobody showed up. The formerly active group was no longer bringing in good leads. Instead, people expected me to answer their questions for free. They would get frustrated when I told them that their questions were outside the scope of the free training, but I could answer inside my paid SEO training programs. It was exhausting. As part of what we practice and teach our clients at Love at First Search, I feel strongly that you should know your marketing metrics and use them to make data-driven decisions. As part of that launch, I tracked the conversion rates across all the marketing channels I was trying, email, blogging, YouTube video, guest podcasting, guest teaching. I'll talk about what to track in part three and alternative marketing strategies in part four, so stick around. When we closed the doors to that paid training group, Sarah and I debriefed the numbers for all of our marketing. The Facebook group metrics showed low engagement, low click-through rate, and fewer good leads than the other strategies, which led us both to the same conclusion. The Facebook group was a sunk cost. Sure, I'd spent four years growing it to several hundred people, but those people showed no inclination to buy. I was paying Sarah to keep the Facebook group on life support. The group was pulling my focus away from marketing activities that were working much better, like email marketing and guest trainings, which led to higher quality subscribers and more program enrollments. Could I have put in the energy to revive it or kept it running in case the algorithm changed its mind and started sharing more organic traffic again or invested in paid Facebook ads that would boost posts to make sure group members saw them? Sure, I could have, but it felt like I was betting on a losing horse. So in May 2021, I decided to shut down the quote free Facebook group because it was free for members, but not free for me. It hurt to let go of Sarah because I really liked working with her, but I couldn't justify the cost without the sales to back it up. That was the start of my unintentional 100-day social media hiatus. Without having regular conversations with Sarah to brainstorm, generate, and approve content, I just stopped. And it felt like my brain got decluttered. For me, Instagram or Facebook can feel like a never-ending vortex that sucks you in. I log in to post something, and the next thing I know, I've been scrolling mindlessly for half an hour. Or an hour and a half. But because I didn't need to log in to post new content, I found that I spent, maybe wasted, less time on the platforms. Without needing to worry about the regular posting schedule or getting back to group member questions in a timely manner, both my time and my mental energy were freed up to invest in other marketing strategies. A week passed, then two, four, six, and suddenly two months had passed. Instead of beating myself up for the lapse, I decided to view it as an experiment. I wonder how long I can go. According to the Screen Time app on my iPhone, my daily social habit dropped from an hour and a half to about 10 minutes. My virtual assistant, Marie, still checked my social media DMs and reviewed tags every few days so I wouldn't miss any business development opportunities, but personally, I didn't even log in, let alone post something new. The business impact of ignoring social media? Nada. Did taking 100 days off social media have a negative impact? The short answer? Nope. I've always seen a slowdown in sales over the summer. It panicked me the first few years until I realized it was just a seasonal cycle that I could embrace and end up working fewer hours and spend more time with my kids or poolside in a hammock with a cool glass of rosé. So my experiment sought to answer the question, would taking the summer off impact the number of new people finding my website, joining my email list, booking consulting calls, or requesting information about strategy sessions? 
What a pleasant surprise to discover that even without social media, the agency still had the same pace of consistent lead generation with both new email subscribers and new strategy clients holding relatively steady relative to the previous summer. Heads up, if you heard that last sentence and your palms started to sweat as you thought, oh my gosh, I don't know any of that information, have no fear. It's totally normal. Most people don't track this stuff until they get help figuring out what's actually important to monitor. Hold tight, okay? I'll give you a framework for what's important in part three. Here's a quick preview. Unless you're selling sponsorships, your follower count is not one of the important metrics to track and grow. When I shared this experiment, people said, so wait, you just stopped marketing? How? Digital marketing and social media aren't synonymous. Social media had been just one tiny part of our agency's more comprehensive marketing strategy. So when I took a break, I reallocated that time into two areas, content marketing and relationship building. Over the 100 days social media break, my marketing team released 13 videos and 16 blog posts and sent 21 emails to our list. Social media was quiet, but our agency's marketing efforts stayed consistent. We just shifted our energy to media that had a longer shelf life. It's been two years and people are still finding those blogs on Google and videos on YouTube. Hey, looks like SEO works after all. For relationship building efforts, instead of picking up my phone to scroll and tapping on people's feeds, I made a dedicated effort to host more Zoom coffee chats and those personal connected resulted in more referral leads. But lead generation wasn't the only outcome I was measuring. I also noticed an impact on my energy. And I've got to admit, the social media break felt great. When the summer first started, it was especially hard not to scroll. It almost felt like my fingers got itchy for stimulation when I went too long without checking those platforms. At the beginning of my hiatus, I felt a lot of fear of missing out, or FOMO, but I was also feeling really burned out, so the benefits outweighed the drawbacks. After about mm, 70 days without social media, I realized that what I was missing wasn't the content creation or the way that people responded to my posts. Because I hadn't yet built an alternative way to keep in touch with my network, what I really missed was the friendships. After that 100-day break, I did return to social media for about a year, but instead of falling back into old habits, I decided to be more intentional. After my hiatus, I couldn't return to that utter dependence for both my business lead generation and my personal validation. Instead of leaping back into addictive behavior, I'd recognized a necessary shift for my life, brain, and business. Instead of seeing social media as a place to yell from a soapbox and expect to be heard, I made a conscious choice to engage in dialogue. And once I realized the extent of how hooked I was, I decided to try changing my personal behavior. I still felt that itch to reach for my phone, but I tried to spend my time on something that I enjoy that has long-term benefits. Experts say that a common way to break a habit is to replace it, so here's what I did to decrease my usage. I deleted the apps. I removed the social apps from my phone so I wasn't as prone to mindlessly scroll. I replaced the media. I downloaded new podcasts so I could still keep up with business trends while walking and driving instead of getting my updates from the feed. And I swapped the habit. In that bottom frequently used apps bar, I removed the Facebook app and replaced it with the Kindle app, and I set a Goodreads goal to read 200 books that year. Now, I've always been a voracious reader, but after having kids and starting a business, that took a back seat to other priorities. By swapping my social media time with reading books, my reading made a giant leap. In 2020, the year before the social media break, I'd read 78 books. Not too shabby, I know, but I told you, I'm a bibliophile. 
In 2021, the year I made the swap, I read 183, more than double the previous year. And in the following year, 2022, I read 252 books. A huge part of the reason for my reading increase is because I wasn't spending my time just scrolling on social media. Also because I realized that romance novels can give me the same dopamine rush as social media with their guaranteed happy endings, and finishing one gives me a feeling of completion that I can't get from the scroll that has no end. They're like cotton candy for my brain. While talking about these realizations, many of my clients and peers agreed that social media feels draining and overwhelming. Even, maybe especially, the social media strategists. They shared that they felt obligated to post and engage, and when they logged in, it felt like they were being steamrolled. I wasn't the only one struggling to find a balance between visibility and obligation, but it felt like nobody else was talking about it, especially because the place where we would be having these conversations would be on social media. And if you're looking for business advice on social media, you're in an echo chamber of those who are successful on social media, since those algorithms are skewed towards people who are investing either a lot of time or money on those platforms. Hashtag so meta. And the fact that Facebook and Instagram's parent company is called meta makes this triple meta. I tried to find research to support my experience and my reflections, and I've included citations to these studies whenever possible. But unfortunately, this particular topic of social media and entrepreneurship is either too nascent or too niche to have peer-reviewed articles. Most research trends toward the impact on adolescents growing up mired in these digital platforms, or about the societal and mental health ramifications of being increasingly online instead of in person. Very few studies are intentionally focused on the impact of social media on the mental health of online business owners who are using these tools not only for entertainment and connection, but also for income generation. Armed with metrics, limited research, anecdotal evidence, and my own lived experience, I started the Social Slowdown podcast in December 2021. I wanted to interview entrepreneurs about their relationships with social media, when it's helpful, harmful, too much, or not enough, and to highlight marketing alternatives that might work for different types of business owners. This book is an outcome of those podcast conversations. Throughout the book, you'll read excerpts from show guests with links to the longer conversations. And you can do it too. I mean, if you want to. If you're reading this and thinking to yourself, Wow, that sounds great. I wish I could quit social media or take a digital detox, but I'm afraid my entire business will fall apart. You are not alone. That doesn't mean I think you should quit social media, though you absolutely can. I haven't, but I have scaled back on how much time I spend and made conscious decisions about how I balance the roles of these different platforms for promoting my business, keeping in touch with family and friends, and enjoying it as an entertainment tool. It may seem easier for non-entrepreneurs to step away from social media since they only use it for their personal life, but as an entrepreneur where your business and your livelihood is dependent on being seen, it feels harder to disengage. But on the other hand, staying active on social media could take a toll on your mental health. So how can you find a healthy balance between visibility and self-preservation? This book can help you come up with some strategic ways to continue growing and nurturing your audience without being entirely dependent on social media as your only outreach and communication tool. Socially Slowed Down, a case study from Ashley Gartland. Here's what Ashley had to say about her experience. When I first started coaching, what I was hearing from the coaching certification program and my business coach was, you need an email list, you need lots of opt-ins, you need lots of funnels, you need a Facebook group, you need to run Facebook ads, you need an Instagram strategy. I saw these bright, shiny objects and saw people having success with those, and I bought it all like, yes, I will do all those things. 
I noticed in my metrics that I wasn't getting clients for my Facebook group. It wasn't really growing or engaged. I wasn't getting any traction from Facebook ads. I could have kept tinkering, but I wasn't getting the results I wanted. I started a slow and steady change, pulling back on Facebook and Instagram first, and then starting to close some things down. The first big change was the decision not to run ads anymore. I didn't want to give Facebook my money. I don't love their business values, and they weren't helping me get clients. And then the next decision was closing the Facebook group, and I didn't see a change in my business from either of those choices. Then I looked at email opt-ins. We thought about refining and simplifying one offer, and instead of having a complicated funnel, we switched to just three nurture emails, literally just stating what I do. And then Instagram is the last one. On my to-do list this week actually is to transfer some graphics that my team has made for me there to make it more static, saying, here's all you need to know. If you want more, you can find out about me and connect with me in these other places. And that, my friends, is the introduction to the Social Slowdown book. You can grab your copy in Kindle or paperback over at socialslowdown.com slash book. Thanks for listening.